And then we welcome Paul and Margaret, all the way from Headenham. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Thanks very much. You're welcome. Good to be here again with you. Doesn't seem long since the last time. Talking about mince pies next Sunday. Perhaps I should have come next Sunday. I love mince pies. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, it's good to be here and uh, bring greetings from uh, Haddenham, Haddenham on the Hill. Uh, we haven't got flooded or blow- well, we've had a wall blow down in our back garden last Thursday, but apart from that, we're, we're okay. Um, yeah, it's um, well, you know what day it is today, don't we? It's the we had last Sunday we lit one candle, didn't we, for the first Sunday? And what is it today? Second Sunday. I don't know what was said last week about the, the meaning of Advent and, and the first candle that was lit last week. Uh, but according to the Baptist Praise and Worship uh, book, the second week of Advent, that's today, uh, the second candle reminds us of, of God's gift, uh, the Bible. And uh, what a wonderful gift the Bible is. And I never cease to be amazed at um, how it's survived through the generations and still survives and uh, is the most widely read book in the world, of course. Have we got more in here than out there? <laughs> it's lovely to see the youngsters anyway, isn't it? It really, uh, it's really nice, I think, to, to see them. They are the future church, the present one and the future. And it's really good. Uh, have any of you researched your own family trees at all? you have? Yeah. Margaret's done a bit. I've I've not really got into that sort of thing, but uh, but Margaret's done quite a bit. Um, It's perhaps a little bit more difficult for me because I was adopted. And uh, myself and and my twin brother uh, were adopted. And um, my mother died about five months after I was born, at the age of 21. So I never knew her, never knew my father either, a natural father. Um, And so... um, for me and somebody like my twin brother, it would be rather, rather difficult. I know more about my adopted parents um, and I know a bit about their family tree and their family history. And, and I feel it's just as valid, even though I'm adopted. It's, uh, it's still, still a valid thing to do. That's the only family I know, have known. And, uh, and I believe it's... You know, when you're adopted, it's not just a matter of genes, is it? You know, they are family. And I, I treat, treated my... In fact, I wasn't told I was adopted, which was a naughty thing, really, until I was in my mid-teens, which I don't think they do these days. Um, but I treated them as my real parents, even though I was adoptive. Uh, it didn't worry me that I... never has worried me that I didn't share their DNA. And my life was certainly shaped by the influence, if you like, of my adoptive mum and dad. Um, Maybe shaped for for the better, maybe a wee bit for the worse in some cases. I'm not too sure about that. In fact, the Bible tells us that we're all... uh, We can all become adopted. We're all being adopted into God's family when we become Christians. It's an automatic thing. When you become a Christian, you are adopted into God's family. And that's why I chose that, that song earlier on in the service about our Father God. Now I am a son or a child. I am adopted into your family. And the Bible passage I've been asked to speak about this morning is from, is from Isaiah, um, written by the prophet Isaiah some 750 uh, years B.C. 
which is another thing I find absolutely amazing. You can go seven or eight centuries before Christ. And these things are spoken about in the Old Testament. I I still today, after years of of being a Christian, find that absolutely amazing. That God could inform people seven or eight hundred years before Christ about what was going to happen seven or eight hundred years later in history. And of course the Bible tells us a lot, lot more about what's going to happen in the future future too. So I'm just going to read this passage Uh, from Isaiah which is taken from Isaiah chapter 11 and uh, verse 1 which is on the overhead if you if you wish to watch that Isaiah 11 starting at verse 1 it's called the branch from Jesse a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse from his roots a branch will bear fruit the spirit of the Lord will rest on him the spirit of wisdom and of understanding the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes, or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox." The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Thanks be to God for his word. Isaiah wrote these words 250 years after King David died. And as you probably know, David was one of the sons of Jesse. And the the genealogy of of Jesus is written in both Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel, but from different perspectives. Matthew traces back the ancestors of Joseph, while Luke seems to concentrate on the line going back to Mary. They are certainly not the same names, apart from two which were several generations back. Margaret spent a couple of hours last week sort of going through some of this genealogy thing, trawling through chronicles and and kings, which takes quite a bit of doing, uh, trying to make sense of the list of names, but without a great deal of of success. Many of the names, of course, were spelt differently or even changed completely, and, and sometimes there's no really complete link or line to follow through from one king of Judah to the next. But the important point is that we have traced the ancestry of Joseph. Matthew identifies him not as the father of Jesus, but as the husband of Mary. The Greek text is explicit in making Jesus born to Mary rather than to Joseph. And this sort of wording is to affirm, if you like, the virgin birth. 
And Matthew goes on to say that Jesus was not Joseph's son, but God's son. Again, it's on about the virgin birth. And incidentally, the Quran also upholds, would you believe, the virgin birth of Jesus. And only considers the genealogy through Mary, or in their Quran, Maryam, without even mentioning Joseph. But as I said earlier, there's more to... Uh, there's more to a person than DNA anyway. And when you say to someone, oh, you look so much like your mother or you're so much like, like your father and so on, or you remind me of grandma and, and things like that, there's a lot more coming into play than just, just genes. When Isaiah spoke of a shoot coming from the stump of Jesse, it's a strange expression, isn't it? I believe it was just as much a prophecy of the, of the type of person who was to come, as it was of their actual bloodline. It was the prophecy of a new king coming into power who would embody the ancient ideal of David's rule. In verse 1 we read, And there shall come forth a shoot out of the stock of Jesse and a branch out of his roots. It is the Hebrew word netzer, which is the word used for shoot, and is actually same, the same word that's, uh, as that from the word Nazareth. And derived from that, Nazareth, the word Nazareth was derived from that same word, Netza. And Nazareth, as you remember in the Christmas story, was an unimportant town. What good could come out of it, the Bible says. Even in Jesus' day, Nazareth, Nazareth rather, was believed to be a, a wicked place to live. This little town of unbelief and general wickedness, it says in 1 John. And in that chapter of John 1, it says there, well, the words of Nathaniel there says, Can anything good come from there? Can anything good come from Nazareth well we know something good did come from Nazareth so Isaiah says there shall be a root a shoot come forth from, a, from the root there should be, there's just a little sprout that nobody will think to be of value something that people will despise he's declaring that when Jesus comes that will be exactly the point Jesus will be somebody who will be despised just like Nazareth was Nazareth was counted as worth nothing but it also implies a new beginning which will spring from the royal line of David. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? Jesus went to the cross, he was despised, he was rejected. The same sort of thing was said about Nazareth. Often the kings of Judah and certainly those of Israel were not fair or kind to the poor. But the Messiah to come would not be like that. Jesus wouldn't be like that. He would proclaim justice for everyone. And it goes on to say in the passage we read that the spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. In simple words, a mind that is wise and that understands people and things. This is Jesus. A mind that gives good advice and has authority. A mind that knows about God and respects him. 
a good example for us too. These are all attributes of someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit. In Colossians 2 it says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity, all the fullness of God, lives in bodily form. The Holy Spirit was with Jesus, utterly and completely. It wasn't like that prior to Jesus' coming. The Holy Spirit prior to Jesus came to people occasionally, visited certain people at certain times. But back to the stump. Reminds me of a big stump. In, did, I don't think it was in the news in, in uh, Haddam on Thursday when we had those winds and storm. And there was a huge conifer, not as high as this ceiling, but getting on that way, certainly as high as that organ. And it came down across the high street and, and blocked the high street for most of the day and half of the evening. And they came with the chainsaws and things. And by the time they, the workmen had cut everything off, it was left with the stump. And the stump was like this width. It was a massive, massive tree. And it made me think when I was looking at all this today about this stump. Incidentally, they've left the neighbour to deal with the stump. They've cut off everything right up to his boundary. And then because the stump's in his land, he's got to get... That's another story, isn't it? But, uh, but there we go. The Holy Spirit was Jesus utterly. The shoot, the branch... There are other places in the Bible where the picture of a tree or a branch is also used. We can read in in Jeremiah, I'll just read this verse to you, in Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 5, it says there, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. So we've looked at Isaiah and here's Jeremiah saying pretty much the same thing. We've got an apple tree in our garden. The first time we've, we've had one of those. We had a walnut in the tree at Cottenham. We have a cooking apple tree. I wish it was a, an eater, but there we go. We've got a cooking apple tree and we've had a good crop on it this year, but there are so many different types of apple. I don't know any gardeners among you, but one tree... And all sorts of different apples growing on it. Different, some big ones, some small, some rosy and red and some green. Some wizened little things. They look like different varieties that have maybe been uh, grafted, grafted on at some time in the past. I, I'm not really too sure about that. Some taste different too and have different textures. But I'm sure there's somebody here who knows about gardening because it could explain that one to me. But it's an interesting thing. I've seen gardeners grafting branches onto different trees and there's a lot in the Bible that's said about grafting. But the message that Isaiah spoke to the people of Israel is a message of hope. That which God cuts off, he also restores. And the one who judges his people for their sins is also the one who forgives and restores. Remind me a bit with Nelson Mandela this week. What a man of forgiveness to be incarcerated for, what was it, 27 years or something like that. And he comes out and he's forgiven them. And he must have been pondering on that in his time in prison. A man of forgiveness. This morning you may feel like the people of Israel 
Perhaps something in your life has suddenly been cut off. Perhaps your dreams, your hopes, your aspirations. I don't know. May have seemed to have disappeared completely, just like smoke. And all that's left is a stump, a stump of unrealised expectations. But the good news of the gospel today is that God is the restorer of dreams. He's the restorer of hope. He's the restorer of your aspirations. Our world so needs peace, doesn't it? We don't have to look far on the news and so on. Even in this country, we live in a society where there's much injustice, unfaithfulness, hurt, unrighteousness. Many of us experience this personally in some form or another. Also, if we admit it, we too can sometimes be part of the problem and need to ask God for forgiveness so that we may find peace. It's always easy to speak about other people and not look at ourselves. But we need to look at ourselves from time to time. We need to reassess. But it's so good that God understands us. He understands us when we fall, when we come short. He understands us when we're sad. He understands when we think we're going through a rough time and nothing's going well for us. He understands all that. He understands what we want, what we need. And he answers us. And he is the restorer, the restorer of our hope. At this point, I'd just like us to, to take a short time in prayer. And inside the, the front of the front cover of the Baptist praise and, and worship, there's, there's a prayer in there um, which I'd like to read. It's called the General uh, Confession. We've got it up on the, the overhead there, so we could uh, maybe uh, read this as a, a part of our prayer this morning, if we could read this together and then after we've read this we could just have a short time of silence when we can uh, ponder on these things let's pray almighty god our heavenly father we have sinned against you and against all your children in thought and word and deed through negligence through weakness through our own deliberate fault we are truly sorry and repent of all our sins for the sake of your son Jesus Christ who died for us forgive us all that is past and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name Amen Thanks be to God for the promise to set us free in Christ free from condemnation from the power of sin to dominate our lives forgiveness is a lovely thing to receive the forgiveness from God after the things we've done in our lives is an absolutely tremendous thing and it does set you free it does give you a new life and of that I'm convinced there are some verses not, um, not many in the Bible that I, I, I find really hard to understand and, and in this passage of Isaiah, verses 6 to 8 in particular come into this category. And I, I don't know what you, what you make of these verses. The one about the wolf living with the lamb and the calf and the lion and the yearling together and so on. And the young child put his hands into the viper's nest. 
there's some strange, strange words, and I, I do find it hard to understand sometimes the real meaning of these things. But Isaiah's prophecy goes far beyond the immediate context of time and even beyond the birth of Christ. In these verses, Isaiah is actually looking into the future and predicts the establishment of Christ's kingdom and the restoration of universal peace. And he predicts three ways in which the Messiah's peace will be experienced. In verse 6 to 8, there's the restoration of peace in nature. It says the wolf will live with the lamb, the lion will eat straw with the ox, and so on. And in verse 9, there's a restoration of peace over all the earth. And says, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that's an amazing statement as well. We've seen this week how what water can do, can't we, um, on the east coast and, and so on, and how quickly the water can come in and rise up to, you know, six feet in no time. The earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And verse 10, there's a restoration of the peace over the nations. And it says, in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. Who's the root of Jesse? We know who the root of Jesse is. Will stand as a banner for the peoples and the nations will rally to him. Can you imagine that day? The nations rallying to Jesus. Can you visualise it? Well, that time isn't here yet, is it? But this time we, we, we've, we've lit the Advent candles. We think of the wonderful time of Christmas when Christ came as a baby. And all that's great, but there's the future too. And this is what Isaiah and, and some of the other prophets were alluring to. That there's more from now onwards. Not just the birth of Jesus, but to his triumphant return. And that's something that we need to look forward to. When everything, everything will be put right. Again, it's difficult, isn't it, to get into our tiny little human minds. How this is going to happen. What's going to happen. What's the effect? We're told what the effect is in the Bible. We know what's going to happen. It's in black and white in there. Jesus' triumphant return. Not as a, as a, as a baby, as a child, as an infant but as the king over all. All people, all nations, all the earth. And we're told every knee will bow, in heaven and on earth. Sometimes we ought to have a sermon just on Christ's return. It's not preached very often. But it's something that we need to keep as Christians at the back of our mind. And for non-Christians, or those who don't believe in Jesus, all I would say is, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Because just as 750, 800 years before Christ came, it was predicted, so Christ's return is in the plan of God. It starts at Alpha, it finishes at Omega. And we're somewhere here, I guess. But when, when he comes again, it will be like a thief in the night. He will come and all things will be made new. And that's something really a wonderful thing to, to look forward to. In the meantime... We live a life here on earth and we live it to the best of our ability and we, we live it in the knowledge that Christ died for us to pay the penalty for our sins and it's wiped clean. The slate is clean. 
when we come to Christ. All is, as it says in the Bible, as far as the east is from the west, so your sins will be taken away from you. That's a wonderful thing. So that's, uh, that's something to come. So remember, we've got, we've got Advent now, but we have more to come in the future and more to look forward to as God works out his plan for humanity.